0: Hi, this is John Small, director of the Billy Joel Live from Yankee Stadium.
1: Hi, Steve Cohen here, and you are listening to Glass Houses, a Billy Joel podcast.
2: Welcome
3: to Glass Houses, a Billy Joel podcast.
2: I'm Michael Grosvenor. And I'm Jack Frenino. Join us as we dig deep into Billy Joel's songs and history and what his music has meant to us. The 1990 video, Live at Yankee Stadium, is getting a makeover with remixed and remastered sound, an extra song, and a brand new edit. And, after a limited run in theaters, it'll be available on Blu-ray, along with a two CD or three LP release, featuring 11 never-before-released performances. While the Yankee
3: Stadium home video was the hit after its release, it's been largely overlooked in the decades after. It came on the heels of the definitive Live from Long Island in 1982, and the historically seismic Russia shows in 1987. Those live releases also
2: featured mostly members of Billy's longtime core band. Later, 2006's 12 Gardens Live and Live at Shea Stadium, released in 2011, sported a lineup that's gone largely unchanged since then.
3: By contrast, Live at Yankee Stadium features a transitional lineup, and it didn't help that the fast cuts and frenetic camera angles locked it squarely as an early 90s MTV relic but
2: that's all changing this fall. The longer cuts and enhanced sound give the entire production a more organic and immersive feel, and the accompanying audio discs reveal even more
3: of Billy's two-night stand. To learn more about the new release, we spoke with Steve Cohen, Billy's longtime lighting director and producer of this re-released film, and with director and original producer John Small, who's worked with Billy since the late 1960s and has either directed or collaborated on virtually every Billy Joel concert film or music video. They gave us an amazing behind-the-scenes look at the making of the original
2: film, the inspiration for its reimagining, and the process of bringing it back to life.
3: Join us as we dig deep into the original Live at Yankee Stadium and the story behind its new look and sound.
4: Good evening, New York! Welcome
0: to the house of the built. Yankee Stadium.
3: I am so excited about this. I have been wanting Billy's team to go deep into the archives, or even shallowly into the archives, and dig up uh, some great material. Come on, it's 2022, 29 years since River of Dreams came out. We know we're not going to be seeing any new albums from Billy Joel in the near future. And they've put together... Greatest hits, compilations, any way you can slice it by this point. So I love the fact that they're finally opening up the vaults. And the first thing that the team is doing here is Yankee Stadium. Based on the taste of We Didn't Start the Fire, we heard and saw. I think it's going to be fantastic, man.
2: I agree. I didn't think I would agree originally. I have to be honest. I was disappointed when I first heard that this was going to be the release. I was originally hoping for Live from Long Island or another one from the vaults like we got with Great American Music Hall. With the vinyl collection. But you know what? There's a lot I forgot about. Just remember being like, wow, they really did go kind of crazy with the with the camera angles there. But they are great performances. And I got to say, as, as great as the new We Didn't Start the Fire looks at least, when I went back and rewatched the whole thing, I kind of really didn't mind all the adventurous editing. You know, even John Small himself, you know, said like, yeah, I was in an MTV state of mind and we redid it. And the new uh, edit breathes a lot more. But really, there was something about shooting it in that way that that sort of made you feel like you were, if not there, at least somewhere other than your living room.
3: I decided to rewatch it the night before we talked with Stephen John. And honestly, in hindsight, it's really not as distracting as it got pegged uh, over the years. Like you said, you know, it fits really well with the music videos that were going on in the early 90s. Look at I Go to Extremes. That is full of fast cuts and movements and slow motion and things like that. It all fits right in that time with the live concert. And it adds an element of energy that may not have come across. We don't have to
2: talk too much more about this because, uh, Steve and John were very, very generous with their time and we'll explore all these ideas and much, much more in the interview we have coming up. I mean, if you've ever wondered what it takes to put a, a shoot like this together and what it's like in the moment, you're about to find out. This is like a masterclass of concert films. Just the two of them talking together was a great dynamic.
3: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And these guys go way back and they come from such different perspectives. You know, John Small was Billy's original drummer in the hassles and Attila and, you know, came back into the fold in the mid seventies and started working with Billy, started directing music videos and live concerts. And that is one of Billy's longest relationships that has ultimately endured. Uh, so there is, you know, a closeness there. I don't want to give it away, but, you know, think about it. John and Billy, you know, sat next to each other on stage in those early years. So there's that connection there. And yeah. he knows what it's like to get an intimate look at Billy as a performer because he, he was there in the early days.
2: So live from Yankee Stadium is culled from two historic shows. Uh, on June 22nd and 23rd of 1990 and was released later that year. What made these shows so significant was that no musical act had been allowed to play a concert at Yankee Stadium before Billy Joel. The songs on the original film were Stormfront, I Go to Extremes, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant, Downeaster Alexa, Pressure, New York State of Mind, We Didn't Start the Fire, uh, a cover of Shout by the Isley Brothers, That's Not Her Style, Miami 2017, a Matter of Trust in Piano Man. Um, the new film release adds
3: Uptown Girl. And so for the CD and LP side of things, we've got a total of 22 songs. And like we said, 11 have never been released before. So for this, we've got Stormfront, Allentown, Prelude, Angry Young Man, I Go To Extremes, New York State of Mind, The Downeaster Alexa, My Life, Shameless, Seen Some Italian Restaurant, Pressure, Miami 2017, Uptown Girl, We Didn't Start the Fire, Matter of Trust, Only the Good Die Young, That's Not Her Style, Big Shot, Good Night Saigon, It's Still Rock and Roll to Me, An Innocent Man, You May Be Right, and Piano Man. And this entire set, both versions, the Blu-ray and two CD and the three LP version are going to be released Friday, November 4th, 2022.
2: And since we're putting this episode out right away, I'm going to tease Michael one more time and remind him that I'm making my pilgrimage from Philadelphia to the easternmost tip of Long Island. (laughs) He's already given me the finger. (laughs) That's right. For the sneak preview on August 22nd at Sag Harbor Cinema.
3: As soon as Jack told me he bought tickets to this thing, like two seconds later, I found myself looking up flights to try and get there. I entertained it for quite a while, believe it or not.
2: I know, I was getting texts at like all hours of the night. With like these, these flights as if he was threatening me with like, I'm going to be there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if it makes you feel any better, I'm going to have to drive like eight plus hours that day back and forth. And I anticipate a physics bending (laughs) 17 hours on the belt parkway. (laughs) So, you know, you're not missing all that much.
3: Yeah. And well, as it is, I'm actually uh, going to be in the middle of a work trip. So I'm going from here in Portland down to Pebble Beach for a couple of days and off to Michigan to do some more work. And the screening happened to go right in between the two, which is why it was kind of entertaining. Yeah. Um, so I would have been flying from California out to you, then flying from you back to Detroit and then driving four hours to my parents. And for those of us not fortunate enough to get out to Sag Harbor with Jack later this month, they are going to be doing two screenings nationwide, actually worldwide. First one is going to be October 5th, which is a Wednesday Wednesday, And then we've got Sunday, October 9th. Tickets actually went on sale on August 10th. So you can get your tickets now if you go to billyjoel.film. It's got all of the theaters and screening and ticketing and all of that fun stuff. So that's going to be my first shot. Jen's like, which one do you want to go to? The 5th or the 9th? I'm like, yes, both.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But hey, enough of our yakking. Let's turn this over to
3: the people that were there. Here's our interview with Steve Cohen and John Small.
2: What led to the idea of revisiting the show for a
0: re release? I have tried for probably almost 10 years to convince Sony and Billy to redo it. Not for any reason that needed to be redone, but what was coming out of Billy and coming out of Jeff Shock, who was our good friend and uh, worked with Billy, was that it was dated. You know, I, I shot it for an MTV look. So I knew I had the other, you know, the normal footage to make it look normal, but I wasn't getting anywhere. Jeff Shock was trying to get somewhere we weren't, but not until Steve came in that we'd get to redo it, which was thrilling, thrilling for me to see something I shot 32 years ago, still to hold, you know, hold up and look as fresh as today. Like I shot it yesterday, except that Billy has hair. (laughs)
1: So John always wanted to do this. Jeff Schock always wanted to do this. Jeff Schock had spoken to me about it, you know, before he passed away, that it was something that would be fun to do. So now you're talking, so Get Back comes out. And, you know, they find all of this footage and they digitally scan it into 4K. And it's remarkable. And I had this thought in my head, like, you know, Yankee Stadium was shot on 16 millimeter film. I know... And it was lit okay, and I I know that the quality that the information was on the film. So so now that we have this precedent um, with the Beatles footage, I thought let's you know let's revisit this. And and it was kind of a conversation that never really went anywhere. Then Sony puts together the fiftieth anniversary of Billy Joel, right, which yep. has been all this year. And I had a meeting with those guys, and I said, as a capstone, you know, let's take one of the best performances and, you know, really do it justice. Tom McKay at Sony, he's in charge of their video A&R division um, and and a lot of other things Said that he could put together funding and distribute this thing, you know, on a wide basis that made sense to justify the money to go in and do this. So uh, we put together an overall budget, John, myself and John Jackson, and presented it to them, you know, with a deck and all that stuff. And they were all in. Now, it's interesting to understand that, of course, they're all in, because at the end of the day, anything that Billy puts out, Billy has to pay for. You know, it's like, it's how that record deal works. It's all on the recoupable basis. So at the end of the day, if it was to lose any money, which it never would, it would come off of Billy's recoup. But, but so it wasn't, it's not really a risk for Sony. But at the same time, you know, Tom wanted to make a, wanted to make a splash about this because... You know, there is no new product of Billy. There's no plan to do a, a streaming concert at, that's on the deck. It may happen sometime in the future. But so, you know, this was something that was interesting to them. I said to John, did we shoot everything? And John was like, I don't remember. And I talked to Brian Roggles and I said, Brian, did we record everything? Well, John Jackson, who's our, who now works with us, who you know, went into the Sony vault and found all these multi-tracks from Yankee stadium. And we recorded every single song. So John and I went, well, I think we filmed it. I don't remember, but we wouldn't be able to know until we actually got the footage transferred. So we had basically sold Sony on the fact that we were going to put together a 24 song concert with everything. Cause we thought, well, oh, I'm sure if we were there, of course we filmed like these days, you would have said, of course you filmed everything right but you wouldn't know because there were no logs of it you know what what stuff was left on you know untransferred or whatever so so it was a very very interesting call when we realized that in fact it was a selective amount of songs that john had chosen and there's footage in the film of john and me looking at the set list with billy you know and john showing. you know checkmarking which songs we were going to film and which songs we weren't. And at the time, Stormfront was the album. So we were right. we were very Stormfront heavy with a couple of the hits. So so it was a little bit of a hiccup with, with uh, Sony, but both of us went on the mat with Sony and said, look, regardless of how much new material may or may not be there, this is going to be a completely new film. It's going to look different. It's going to feel different. It's going to be edited different. It's going to be you know highest super quality. and we're taking Brian Ruggles out of the bullpen and have the live sound engineer go in and do the mix. So you're gonna get you're gonna get the 2020 version of all of our talent you know on a 38 30, 33 year old you know film. So right that's kind of how you know how, how it sort of developed. Uh, and John has a relationship with Adam Little, who is the editor. And I've never worked with him. And let me tell you, I think if anybody gets credit for the quality of the cut, well, obviously he did the cut, but for really transforming this, it was Adam. And, you know, John basically gave him like a very, very simple direction. He said one sentence. He said, just let it breathe. Just let it breathe. What Adam did in the cut is he basically, if you look at it, the cuts happen when the shot stops working. In other words, he will he holds the shots as long as possible before the camera either reloads or changes its focus or goes or the framing goes. Right. But it, but it is each each cut is used as long as it possibly can. You know, with a few exceptions where he cuts for energy. But yeah, so I mean, I think Adam gets you know right, John. I think Adam gets hundred
0: percent. The Nashville team was amazing. Every single person stepped up. They were so excited to do something other than country music. And I've worked <laughs> with these guys for more than, you know, 25 years, and their talent is just beyond, you know, their, Adam is a musician. So he gets it right away. He actually, when we first got it, was funny was that they didn't have the audio. They didn't have any of the Nagra tapes to sync it up. So Adam said, no problem. I'll do it by eye. There's 12 cameras there. And to sync up that much stuff by eye is almost impossible, but he started doing it. I mean, he was getting it. It was pretty amazing. And then we found a uh, one inch tape that had all the audio on it with time code. So it made it easier. But yeah, he's great. Right down to our audio guy, Tom Davis, phenomenal also. It's 1990.
1: It's MTV era, you know, and John had this very clever system. And John, I'm gonna try and describe it, you tell me if I if I get it right. Because the 16 millimeter cameras had uh had what 14 minute loads or 15 minute loads in them? No, uh, they're they're 10 minutes at my ten minute loads. So he had a grid because what he wanted to do was get each individual camera at some point shooting at half speed. Mm-hmm. Um So he actually changed the frame rate in the camera because in those days you couldn't do it digitally. You had to change the frame rate in the camera and he had a grid that he went through. And if there's 10 cameras, you know, for your first load, you're going to be in standard 24 frames. And then your second load, you're going to be in 12 frames. And your third load, you're going to be in 24 frames. And he had a system on headsets telling them what frame rate to change. So, what ends up happening when you transfer this stuff is because tra- we transferred it all at 24 frames a second. So what ended up happening is there would be 10 minutes of it being properly in speed, and then another 10 minutes where it looked like the Keystone Cops because it was you transferred it at, at the normal frame rate. So what you ended up having to do is then, if you wanted to do it as a sort of stop action thing, you would you would transfer it at the at the lower frame rate. So I I looked at this stuff and I thought the thing that'll make this thing change the most is to not use any of that split frame stuff. But of course the film doesn't have the information on it. So it, because it's shot at slow at, 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 12 frames a second. And I know I'm getting technical about this, but basically what happens is Adam said, I think I got a plan. And what he did was because there are algorithms in the computer now that can artificially build the frame that's missing. So what ends up happening is, is that you kind of get the same image. You get exactly the same image from the frame before, but because the eye doesn't catch it, it suddenly looks smooth. The only time you ever see like a double image is when you see Liberty with his drums up in the air and his drumsticks up in the air. And it looks like a double image. So a lot of those you could use. So, so some of the stuff that still exists through the drum close-ups, and you'll see in the new cut that the drum close-ups have that still stop-action slow motion. But the majority of all those beautiful sweeping crane shots of Billy were in, in, in half speed that Adam, through his computer, smoothed them all out and sort of built you know, the additional frames. And what that ends up doing is it makes it it lets you breathe it it does exactly what john wanted it to do which was to make it breathe
0: yeah i was just trying to fit into what was going on in mtv back then and it was a lot of 12 frame stuff so the way steve explained it was you know like when we started what was hard about this is that as the director you're the one that has to remember when these cameras are going to be out of film because you don't want to be on you know a close-up of billy and also run out of the film so you would know like 30 seconds before when it's running out and you would get another camera over to cover that close up while the close up camera went out of film and you reloaded but on top of that i was you know saying like camera 1 you're at 24 camera 2 you're at 12 camera 3 you're at 24 and every time they would reload i would change their frame rate because i didn't want to have that same special effects camera on the same camera every shot because you know then you sit there at home watching oh there's that special effects camera so Mm -hmm. i tried to move them around in the circle that i was shooting in you know as a technician it worked out perfectly the way i wanted it back then but now i had to undo that you know to get for this new cut so it was a little scary because i wasn't sure if we had enough of great shots of billy and all again all this we couldn't confer until we started editing and make right. sure. Right. So that was the problem that we were, we thought we were going to have with Sony that we might not have what they want, but we did, we were lucky. The, the big, the first big thing was we didn't have 23 songs, Right. you know, I called everybody to, to ask them if I shot it because I couldn't imagine that I didn't shoot it, but, uh, there it was on paper. And it's, it's obvious I didn't make this decision on my own. It had right. to come from management or somebody. Don't forget, when you shoot film, it's much more expensive than video. When you shoot video, you can just keep rolling because the, the camera will run for two hours or more, whatever right. load you have in there. He, but on film, you got 10, yeah. you got 10 minutes.
1: And the thing about it is is that there was, you know, it was a specific project. It was pre-sold. Uh, to Disney, we we you know we knew that there was X amount of dollars that was coming in, and that was really you know John had to to live to that budget. And one of the things about John Small that I can attest to is he hits every show on budget. He's not a guy you hire if you want to go over budget. Let me put it that way. He 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 makes sure everybody does what they need to do and brings it in on on, on the on the budget line. But go you know going back to what you talked about about me with follow spots. I now think about how your mind had to been working when you were, when you were making these decisions, and keeping in mind that a, you had to make sure that you before you ran out, you had a you had coverage of where the runout was be, and then thinking about the frame rate change, and then thinking about moving the frame rates around so you had, you know, a different special effects camera with every load. they these shows are complicated enough. It was like you put like three extra layers of complexity on this right? in in order to make that specific thing. And it's a very specific show. You know, you look at the original, it is, whether you like it or not, it is a completely specific, unique approach to a live concert. Never been done before that way. So it's pretty neat to get a second bite at the apple. That's for sure.
3: You guys were talking about the special effects cameras and the frame rates based on what frame rate they were shooting. Did that also inform their approach to the shots?
0: Yes. Uh, Like Steve mentioned before, when you're shooting 12 frames, the more movement you have by the the person you're shooting, the more interesting it looks to me. So of course, covering Liberty, he was like a blur. It was amazing. You know, it was like the sticks were like, instead of seeing one stick, you'd see 10 sticks, you know, and Billy moves around a lot too. So when he was, you know, standing out there in the front, it was just great but sometimes you know uh it didn't work because the the camera guy that was doing the shot you know was now locked on somebody that was just standing there you know so right. like crystal she's very animated and so was mark rivera so when they're animated it just comes out better or yes. to me it did you know so uh, you know it was it was hard and that was the fun part of having steve here was you know being that i did the original and I, you know, I watched the original right before we went into this, and I looked and I said, you know, this thing is really good. You know, I mean, I've you know, I've seen that a hundred times, but I did watch it one more time, beginning to end, in the original f- format, the way I did, and yeah. it's hard to let go. So that's yeah, yeah. what was so great about having Steve, because he was coming into it with fresh eyes of what would make it different. Because I was still locked into a lot of shots that I thought worked. That had right. that effect and didn't think really that it would, you know, make the uh, the film any better. But it, Steve was the the defining factor there that, you know, explained to me and everybody else that this will look better and it will make it look fresher. And he was right, you know. And as we got well, into it more and more, you know, my daily thing was was when the day was over, I would call Adam and we'd speak. He never watched the original show which was cool.
3: That's actually a great, yeah.
0: Yeah, I said to him, don't watch the original show because you're going to get hung up on it. So he didn't. You know, and I, like I said, I've done so many shows at Adam, he understands mm-hmm. how I like things to be. But I can't stress enough how important it was to have Steve there and his, his opinion of what will make this really good and make Billy look good. But we were also very, very fortunate how good Billy really is. I mean, it's undisputed that this guy did the performance of his life that night. I mean, it was just unbelievable. His voice is phenomenal. He's right up there. You're hearing him sing, I go to extremes. And he's still in voice and he's screaming, but still in voice, on key, as good as it gets. And he looks great, he's in the prime of his life. So it just made it that much more thrilling you know Billy hasn't seen this yet right Steve no he hasn't seen it yet you know Billy's one of those guys he hates the way he looks so he always gives you a uh you know a negative about doing this stuff always I remember I used to have a funny saying with him he used to say I hate the way I look on video and I used to say to him well Frank Sinatra wasn't a good looking guy either but (laughs) it was important to document everything that you could do where would we be today if we didn't have footage of Elvis or the Beatles of all this stuff that's been documented. So this is just another documentation of a great, great Billy Joel performance with also one of the best Billy Joel bands I've heard in a long time. I mean, his bands are always great, but these guys just were stellar that night. I mean, really, really good.
3: I've always loved the Lords guys, you know, Doug and Russell and all those guys, but with that shift between the bridge and Stormfront, inserting Crystal and Schuyler, it just gave things another, and Jeff Jacobs as well. It just gave things an injection of energy. That and just... Tommy Burns, yeah, and Tommy Burns. Okay. That was
1: Tommy Burns's first.
3: Because because he joined mid tour, even if I'm not yeah, mistaken, he
1: joined mid tour. But I want to talk about that. But before I do that, I want to go back to Adam for a second because one of the things it was so smart of John to do to tell him to direct him not to look at the original. Film and, and look at it fresh is you know he found the best shots that he felt were at the right time and and there's a lot of shots in this version that are kind of that are the same shots that were in the original but the power of his edit is that by repositioning them a few frames ahead or a few frames later or or allowing something to play a little bit longer than it would have before a particular shot, they all look like new shots again. And that, that to me was the power of the edit. I, it amazes me every time I see an edit, you know, and then see the next after notes, what it turns into, because you think it's not a big deal to take off 10 frames on one end, and 15 frames, and two frames on another end, but it completely, it changes the feel completely. And what's so great about Adam is he's a musician. So no matter what he did, if he wanted to do a musical downbeat and he didn't have the drums hitting it or uh, a close-up of the guitar playing it, he would use Crystal kicking her leg to accentuate a drum Mm fill. Or he would use Mark Rivera moving his horn over to one side to emphasize a rhythmic piece. That's way deep when you're talking about musical editing. And I think when you watch the film, it feels more musical- because it's not hitting you over the head with musical cuts, if that makes sense. It's like they're organic and they feel like they should happen when they're supposed to happen. And I'm telling oh, yeah. you, I would bottle this guy at him and take him and do everything. No wonder John keeps him locked up in a room down <laughs> in Nashville because you know, he's he, he's amazing. But the band thing, which, and I'll, I'll underscore what John said, I'm really fortunate because I've been on the road with this guy, work with this guy from all of those bands. You know, I was with the Reese Clark, Tom Whitehorse, uh, you know, you know, um, Howie Emerson, um, Frank Vento, like all all of those guys, Liberty of Doug and Richie, All of those are moments in time and they're amazing. I mean, yeah. the first time I heard the band play with Whitehorse and Reese and Evans and they did the ballad of Billy the Kid in the studio and and Tom Evans was I mean, uh, uh, Tom Whitehorse played pedal steel through a Leslie. So it sounded like a Hammond organ. I was like, oh, my God, this is like a symphonic group. This is not just a rock band. And I've watched them evolve. I've watched, you know, then when Doug and Liv and all and all of that started to happen and Billy started to write with them and produce with them. Something changed during the Stormfront era. And it was it was the Mick Jones sensibility that came on with that record. And these new players, um, I, you can see Billy in performance clips because we have a bunch of stuff in the archives of of other shows from that tour. This is a moment in time in energy in performance. He worked harder because the band worked him harder. If that makes sense, it was sort of like they pushed him, he pushed them. Yeah, uh, his piano playing was at the at the at the peak. You know, like John said, his vocals. You know, when you see this not just, I go to extremes, Easter Alexa. Like, Downeaster Alexa in this film is the purest relationship I've seen between Liberty and Billy and his voice and, and Lib's playing. It's, it's the peak of that collaboration, I think. And, and it's so great that we have that on film, that we have, like, I think the definitive relationship song between the two of those guys. You know, he hasn't seen it, John, but he's heard the mixes and he's like blown away at the way it sounds. Because once again, you know, new technology to be able to mix this stuff in Dolby 5.1 and in Atmos is like, it's all brand new again. What's interesting about the mix, I think, is that Brian has created, Brian and Tom, of course, created space between the instruments. When you listen to this stuff, there seems to be a little bit of air between every instrument, which means that they all when you hear them, they all you hear all of it. Nothing steps on on it on each other sonically. You know, you layer that on top of Billy's incredible vocal performance. You know, it becomes this powerful emotional experience. You like, and I, you know, I've seen what two thousand shows. You know, like yeah. I, I watch this thing and I go, "Holy shit, is that us?" Like that's like, wow, it's pretty amazing. So I'm excited. I'm actually excited to see it in this little uh, Sag Harbor cinema which has an incredible Dolby Atmos theater in it. And it's going to be quite an event because, you know, it's 220 seats and it's a great theater and a great projector and great sound. It'll be like you're sitting in the in the audience at Yankee Stadium. again.
2: As far as the Atmos mixes, when we're in the theater, what's that going to sound like? Let's say compare it to, to 5.1.
1: Well, my experience is, is that, uh, and the way I described it was, it sounds exactly like it sounded from my lighting console in the middle of the, of the arena. So
2: it's more immersive?
1: Totally immersive. Yeah, like it, wow. it's You're surrounded by the audience. Uh, the instruments come to you from the screen, but they come to you where you can pick them out between the other instruments. So they just almost feel like if you're looking at the distance, they feel like, the voice is right here and the drums are right here oh, right. and the horns are over here, but it's, it just feels like you're surrounded. You, you know, it's what the old quadraphonic stuff used to want to try to be uh, only, yeah. you know, on steroids. And the overall EQ is better. The The drums sound better. The piano sounds amazing. And his vocal is just like so present. It's like, he's singing right at you You can almost like feel the air. It's pretty amazing. And five, one is great. There's no two ways about it. Five, one is still great, but the Atmos just seems to explode it.
3: So far, obviously, all I've seen is we didn't start the fire, but I felt inside it this time around. It felt more intimate to me. I felt like I was on stage. I noticed myself noticing just nuances of the production and of the setup and the performances. It drew some of those elements out that I may not have picked out on the first time around
1: and this is John, you know, John, I'm going to compliment him like he's not here, but where John excels in all of his live productions is that he makes you feel like you're there. He makes you feel like you're in the audience. And the way he does that is by showing the audience in ecstasy. And it isn't just random audience cutaways. It's, there were like four or five cameras the first night. And we found these slates because he shot the audience, but they had someone holding up a slate of what song so that when he came into the edit, he'd be able to have the audience at that particular song. So if they were singing along, if he wanted someone to sing, you know, the verses to Uptown Girl, we, we knew that. I mean, it was, a, it was a real focused plan. All of those shots that were in the original because the idea was you couldn't be there. We're going to make you feel like you were. That was what that piece was. And we really didn't tussle about it, but where I was a little bit more forceful about it was that we've seen all of that. We don't need to tell people how exciting it is. What we need to do, me as a fan, is get into the to the weeds and the details of the emotions of the players, the look on Billy's face, the reaction from, you know, Crystal and Mark and Mark looking at each other, letting the fan, like you said, feel like you're on stage with them. And I think it's most successful. In this film, in scenes from Italian Restaurant, scenes from Italian Restaurant has no audience cutaways. I mean, I think there may be one, but it is primarily a performance. Because I, my contention was, we know where we are now. Let's see this guy. Let's see this band play play this stuff. I don't need to see somebody singing along to scenes from Italian Restaurant. I want. I don't want to miss a, a freaking moment of that piano or that horn or the excitement of you know Tommy Burns playing the acoustic guitar like. That stuff, you know, I wanted to see all that stuff. Eventually, we agreed that that was the right way to do it. You know, John, I think that's the thing that gets me about it is that you were incredibly generous to all of us to let go of your preconceived idea of what that thing wanted to be because you were like, give it another life. You're very much like Billy that way. You know, Billy talks about the way he wrote songs and he says, you know, they're my kids. Some grew up to be lawyers, some grew up to be bums, but they're all in the world all by themselves. And I think that was kind of your attitude about this film, like you made it, now let's see what it can turn into all by itself, I think. I'd like to think anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I approach most of my shoots like that. You wanna make the home viewer feel like they were right there in the audience or that they say, God, I can't believe I missed this show because everybody's having such a good time, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's what's important to me. And I remember when Steve said to me, so you want to do this? I said, yeah. I says, well, let's have a meeting with Billy. So we went out to East Hampton and we met at the Palm for a lunch and we were sitting there eating and then Billy said, so what are you going to bring to the table? What do you want to do? And I remember saying to him, I think it's important to see what you see, how you look around and see all your guys and you're like basically feeding off them. There's always been this thing with drummers with Billy, that he would just focus on the drummer for a long time. Maybe it's because that helps him with the rhythm, but he always likes to watch what's going on. And of course, Liberty was such a character, you couldn't take your eyes off him anyway, you know? Always something new every night. You know, the guy was just phenomenal and just a personality in his own.
1: This particular film, Yankee Stadium, is being distributed. in. In uh, theaters by this company called Trafalgar, where they do special event screenings. And I just got a list yesterday, and it's going to, sh- it's uh, 960 theaters around the world uh, over a two night period. And what's interesting about that is, and I learned this yesterday, each individual theater has the ability to replay it. So if you're in a particular market, let's say you're in you know, New York City or Miami. And the AMC chain has uh, has demand; it could run, you know, additional days. The key is, you know, obviously running when there's a s- certain threshold of how many people, because you don't want to screen this to an empty room. It doesn't make sense. So, right. I it could have, you know, two thousand screenings. Um, it could also have ten thousand screenings in 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 a theater before it comes out in you know, Blu-ray and all that stuff. And if you can see it in a the theater, again, that's the experience because then that's as close as being to the stadium as possible, especially an atmos
3: theater. What was the process like trying to find all the components, trying to find the you know, get a hold of the film and the multi-tracks? What went into that process of you know digging through the
0: archives? Well, usually, you know, when you finish a project for a record company or an individual artist, they get all the the original footage back. So Sony had all the stuff in their vault. But I guess over the years, being it's over 30 years, they tried to combine stuff. And that's what I found that they did is that they they took all the Nagra tapes, that's what had all the original audio on it, and they just transferred it for space onto a single roll of tape, you know, because it was hours When they first told me, yeah, we have a Nagra tape. I go, you have one Nagra tape? Can't be. Nagra tape is, you know, 12, 15 minutes. We're talking a show that's almost three hours long, right. You have to have multiple tapes. So, you know, you got to go in, you got to get everything, identify it because, you know, back then you might've had a camera report in there, but it doesn't tell you anything you really need to know except for what role it is and who shot it. You have to really look through everything, you know, just to, to see what you're getting. And don't forget when you're looking at it, there's no audio. So you're literally lip, singing and trying to know what was so cool about Steve, because Steve lit it. And he's seen Billy so many times. He knew what songs he was doing by the actions Billy was doing, whether he was playing the piano or standing center stage. In a matter of seconds, Steve would go, oh, that's Uptown Girl. Oh, that's scenes from Italian restaurant. He just knew each song by just looking at it. It was funny. So once we got it, the first thing we did, we had to transfer it to give it a look. And the first cameras that came up with a helicopter. And Steve turned to me and said, this looks amazing. And it did, it was just phenomenal looking stuff. So it was really, really exciting. And then we started going through Billy's close-ups and all the stuff and the more and more we saw it, the more and more, you know, we got excited about it. It was just really great. And of course I had to convince Steve and everybody that let's go to Nashville, we'll do it in Nashville. You know, directing these things are really hard, but producing is, Ten times. My expression is behind every good director is a better producer because the producer has to settle up for the director in every aspect. So this is Yankee Stadium where they've never had a concert. They were just bullies at first, you know, so you had to get everybody to, to and it wasn't them that was bullies. It was really the union because the union controlled all these New York venues. So it was very, very hard to work and get what you you wanted. But it was funny. I remember the day of my first shoot, I I always have a camera meeting with all my cameramen. So we went into the Yankee dugout, and I have a photograph of me talking to all the cameramen. And one of the uh, guys that works for the Yankees said, You can't be in there. This is the Yankees dugout. And I said, Well, we'll be. I said, We're here for Billy Joel, and we're going to be here until we're done and uh, nicely of course and they let <laughs> us stay there you know i mean that's hollow ground i mean that's like you're in the the best place you could be i mean i don't know what steve's feeling was but when i went behind center field and saw the tribute with all the players that have passed away it was just like breathtaking to see these brass plaques of mickey mantle my one of my childhood heroes roger maris all that stuff so, you know, one I, once I saw it, I had to get Billy behind there to get some shots with him. And he he did a great little dialogue. Because Billy's just a really smart guy. You just give him a little inch of direction and he can just take you right there, you know? What was yeah. funny, that's not in this show, but was in my original other show, was when Billy was standing there, he said, do you think uh, any of the restaurants will be open on Arthur Avenue? And one of the guys yelled back, Well, if you ask them to, they will. So it was just funny, even back then, you know, Billy was a huge, huge star that they knew by one phone call from him, all the restaurants or whichever restaurant he wanted would stay open. You want to be very protective to the Yankee organization and not put holes in their field, you know, Mm -hmm. so we had a a task to not only protect the field, but there are a lot of areas in the field that aren't protected. We've got to keep people off because you can't make dents in there. You know, right. I don't want to get the call next week that uh, some baseball player was running and fell into a hole and broke his ankle, you know?
3: You know, baseball stadiums, concerts weren't nearly as common then as well, too. So now every baseball stadium in the country is going to have, a, you know, half a dozen at least shows. Well, in- now
1: the baseball stadiums have realized that their revenue for concerts is bigger than their revenue for ball games, And because of the technology of protecting the fields these days is so bulletproof, they don't worry about it. I mean, you can pull out after a Sunday show and be ready for a game on Monday night. So, whereas it wasn't the case when we did Yankee Stadium.
2: It sounds like this is probably one of the first times you were lighting an outdoor show versus the Coliseums. And you also had to to do some different lighting. Um, Just, I think you said that, you know, just expand the footprint of the lighting for a larger venue. Um, What kind of changes did you have to make? Did you run into any challenges, even just being outside? I'm guessing it wasn't too big of a deal once it was dark, but... I don't know if that uh, That
1: was the biggest problem. I didn't have much dark time and I didn't have a budget. You know, I had, I had these big sky trackers, which were the first kind of big, you know, xenon moving lights that were like, like basically, you know, movie premiere lights, but they had a color changer on them. And they were made by this company out in California and they only had 15 of them or 16 or 17 of them in existence. And I had them all come to Yankee stadium because it was the only way I could effectively light the light the stadium, um, because I didn't have a crew to hang lights. You know, these days, if you had time, you would be light putting lights all around the structure, so you'd be lighting the audience from the structure.
2: Mm-hmm. This
1: time, I, I I had no budget or no money to do. I had no budget, no time really to do that. So it all had to come from the stage. So I I was fortunate that I had that these lights were big enough and focused enough that you could expose the audience and then there was some spill from the stage. And once again it's the genius of you know John and and the, the team and the editing team. There's some stuff that we just simply had to cheat. There's some audience stuff that don't exist at that particular moment because that we captured the way the audience was lit. But in context, when it's cut correctly it feels like it it belongs, you know, the colors of Santa feels like it belongs there. It was challenging simply because I only had four hours, which was the biggest Thing that, that i was worried about because the rest of the stuff i wasn't as worried about i just didn't want to have john get in there and come screaming at me saying i got no audience i got no audience which didn't happen so luckily,
2: john when it comes to these you know is there a lot of any sort of rehearsal or blocking with the band ahead of time especially um because you do like to get up close and personal especially on this one a little on shea as well you know we, we get all these shots of like people Entering the stage or leaving or going down. We even see the cameras on stage in these cuts, which I always which I always kinda liked. I remember that from the first time I watched it. Is there a lot of collaboration with the band ahead of time on that? Or are you just really trying to to get that snapshot of what they're doing?
0: Well, regarding cameras on the stage, I do talk to Billy about it. I mentioned to him that there would be a lot of cameras on certain songs so he wouldn't just freak out. So he was aware of everything. The band, I never worry about the band. They're just happy to be there and get on camera. So they're thrilled and uh, it doesn't matter what I would be doing with them. But you you always gotta take in consideration the artist of what they want and what they don't want. Billy's not difficult at all. He's more difficult before you're doing it to tell you how much he doesn't like being shot. It's been an ongoing thing as as long as I know him. Nothing wrong with that. That's who he is. He's just one of those guys. So you have to just keep him informed so there's no surprises. I did do a bunch of stuff that was surprises. Like Steve mentioned, I, I painted the top of the piano. The funny thing on that part to me was what he used to do, he used to run and slide across the top. Well, he ran, and as soon as he hit the piano, he just stopped dead. So that's when it was was funny to me, you know? And same thing when we did uh, Last Play at Shea, I cut holes in his, he he had a circular um, turntable that his piano was on, and I cut holes in it so I could raise cameras up and get his fingers playing the piano and stuff, and didn't mention it to him. Of course, me and Steve, uh knew about it. Steve helped me facilitate getting I guess it was Tate to cut the holes and make it manageable Billy went up for a sound check and he's he was sitting at the piano and also I raised one of the cameras and he looked at it and went wow look at this he was like so excited about it you know <laughs> but there wasn't a man there it was just a, a remote camera right, right those cameras got some some great shots yeah. the scary part about that was in one of the songs, and I think it was uh, Matter of Trust, where the piano drops down and Billy's center stage with guitar. Well, under that piano was four cameras. So I had to make sure that before they started lowering the uh, piano, my guys were out. And then when the piano went back up, that they could get back in. So it's almost like changing film cans. You got to be alert. Otherwise, yeah. I'm going to kill somebody, you know? Well, in that
1: case, it's like changing tires on a race.
0: That's a better <laughs> expression,
1: right. But the thing about Yankee that John talks about, paying attention to all of that stuff, I didn't have a chance to do that because we got we got jammed. You know, if you remember, Nelson Mandela had just been released from Robbins Island and was doing his first rally in the United States. They were supposed to do it at Shea Stadium. Shea Stadium had a game. So they came over and said, well, we want to do Yankee Stadium. And they said, and, you know, all the, you know, Delsner and everybody else said, well, you can't. Billy's, you know, Billy's setting up for his concert and for the filming. And they were like, well, I'm sure Billy would let us use the stage for one night. You know, we thought it was the right thing to do anyway. So, but what ended up happening was, we're setting up for a two day film and a a legendary like event. And we have to stop what we're doing in the middle of the setup. Let another production come in, use our stage, our sound, our lights. Then wait for them to load out before we could come back in and prepare for the show. So I was lighting the audience and the environment between 12 and sunrise. The night before the show, we never saw any of this stuff on camera. We never had a camera rehearsal. We never had a camera test. Jeff Zimmerman was the DP, was the DP at the time. I I haven't spoken to him in 30 years, but Jeff knew the situation, knew film cameras so well, saw what I was doing and was able to interpret what I was doing to make the exposures work on these cameras. And we really got, I mean, I think it was a miracle because, you know, you, you it was a recipe for disaster uh and by the time the first show happened we were i mean i hadn't slept john hadn't slept you know none of the people in the production had slept because we had to do a nelson man alpha show the night before so you know when john talks about you know being in the being in the hallowed ground i was like i couldn't pay it i was like yeah okay good (laughs) whatever (laughs) i got a show to do
3: right you
1: know so it's another layer on why This thing is such a miracle to be able to look at, and why it's so amazing that it looks the way it does because it shouldn't.
3: And the, the Stormfront tour was all arenas up until this point, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's also you're also transitioning this this live show into its first stadium. Yeah,
1: those big Stormfront flags were specifically for Yankee Stadium. The only thing I never got to do, John, which was my dream was, you know, there's 100 flags around the top of Yankee Stadium, and I wanted to make them all storm front flags, and I couldn't. I remember I couldn't, that. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't pull that one off. We, we I could. People were looking at me like, no, that you can never do that. That'll take three days. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so those, those big flags, which were the album cover, that great piece of art, that was all unique for that. We used IMAX screens at the time. People weren't using them very much, so uh, people in the back could see. So there was a lot of things that were, were kind of breaking ground on, on the show at that time. A lot of stuff that
0: hadn't been seen. Let me tell you what, one of the difficult things about producing is anytime you go in to do a live show and you're bringing, you know, a DP in or other crew, whether it's audio or whatever, you have to deal with the, the house, the band guys guy, most importantly, you know, being I knew Steve so well, I needed to find the right director of photography that could work with Steve and listen to Steve and Steve would listen to him so we would get the best of both worlds. But that is the, one of the hardest parts because so many times you can come in and the DP just goes, well, we're gonna change all this. And the lighting director goes, what do you mean you're gonna change all this? I just spent months working this out and you're changing my design. Steve and uh, the DP did work together so well and i think they both learned from each other as they were going same thing happens with with brian ruggles who was doing the live audio that day you know i have dave view it they're doing it in the truck in the truck so you gotta just make sure that these two guys are hitting it off and appreciate each other you know both of them are superstars in their own right but one always thinks he's a bigger superstar than the other so you just got to calm them down to say look We only have one objective here, and that's to make the artist look great and sound great.
1: You know, that thing is even showing itself now. Uh, Brian was uninitiated on Dolby Atmos. There aren't too many people that are. We went down and did a screening in Nashville, and we played back the Atmos, which was basically Tom Davis taking the Dolby 5.1 and expanding it to, you know, the 11 or 12 speakers that Dolby Atmos is. And Brian didn't like it. It was parts of it that didn't that didn't resonate with him. We played the 5.1 for him, and he was like, okay, that's the way it's supposed to sound. But fast forward now, he went back down and worked with Tom Davis, and now he is, like, so excited about the new technology. Like, John, he's, like, crazy. It's like, this Atmos stuff is unbelievable. So, you know, one of the greatest things about our gang is that we're so open to this stuff that we end up, learning from it, and it ends up expanding. I think Brian's going to probably do an Atmos mix of one of the other albums, Glass Houses or, or something like that, because Apple wants them. So because he's learned this technology through doing this film, there's the ongoing benefits to Billy and to all of us because of something like this. So we're very fortunate with that.
0: I think to be a little clearer, what it is, is Brian's ears weren't in weren't in tune for Atmos yet. So it's a whole different ball game. It's like watching black and white to go into color. And that's what Tom Davis told me. Tom Davis was the audio guy in Nashville. He said, he's just not used to it. Once he gets used to it and and stays in my studio for a day or two, he'll be a fan. Your ears are used to hearing it one way. So as soon as something is not in that zone, you get scared. You know, all of Billy's guys are very protective of Billy. They know him very well, but they're protective of him they're going to make sure that they know he's going to like it so they they really put their best foot forward to make billy very happy about what they do so i you know i think that the the film's going to do great i think it's a perfect fan film that all the existing billy joel fans are going to love it and those families are going to come with their kids that never saw billy because they were too young or something like that And now it's going to be another generation of people one of the reasons why i think the show was also so good is that billy was so excited to be at yankee stadium of all the places it's new york it's he's a yankee fan and to be at that position was just amazing for him and you see it in his performance he is so thrilled to be there it makes me laugh you know i you know i do remember being there And Steve is so focused because first, you know, the film doesn't mean anything to him at that moment. His moment is to make sure he's producing and getting the right lighting show for Billy. Yeah. And I felt bad for him because, again, he lost his rehearsal day. Me too. You know, here's a new band, here's a whole new thing, and we haven't seen it. And we haven't seen the lighting. My DP hasn't seen it. So it becomes a little everybody was up all night it just shows how we're you know we're good at it
1: you know we're, we're you know we're good at what we do and and I don't think there's any reason not to take credit for the fact that we have an instinct and we know how to do this stuff and you know the yeah. thing about I've done a lot of shows you know you've done a lot of shows John it's a lot of shoots like you know you can rehearse all you want but on the day and on, on the day it's thinking on the firing line and it's it, it's making decisions. Immediately, you could have a whole plan and it could be, you know, totally derailed. If you don't have, you know, a working knowledge of all of your tools and what you have at your disposal, you're not going to be successful no matter how many rehearsals you have. And I mean, you know, you had camera operators that you've worked with before. I had my crew that worked with before. I knew the music. I knew what we wanted to accomplish. And we had a DP who was able to interpret the most important part, which was how to make Billy look good. And, you know, he pointed out to me, you know, lighting Billy from a particular angle for multiple cameras that I would have never seen if it wasn't for him standing on stage looking at Billy, because I'm at the front of house looking at it from another angle. You do the best you can with what you got.
3: If you had a, a wish list of things, you know, to exist. Is there anything that you'd like to see the light of day again, or even for the first time? Yeah. I mean, I'm
1: discovering a bunch of stuff that John shot that I don't even know he knew he, he remembers he shot. So we're just, we're, we're discovering this stuff. We found a second Wembley show that we shot that was part of it. There was a BBC thing, and this is a different performance. I found a, a three quarter tape of, of, of Philadelphia Stormfront at the time. It looks like we have three or four cam- additional cameras for all of that. So you know, as we're going through this discovery, anything that I find, look, Yankee Stadium, hopefully it's successful. And if it's successful, then I'll get the freedom to for John and I to go in and get more money to do all of these. I want to have John be able to do a, 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 proper, a proper whack at the Shea Stadium concert, which he never got a chance to cut. So as long as there's stuff and as long as there's a budget, I'm in the Billy Joel business. I'll stay in the Billy Joel business <laughs> until the day I die. So...
3: I try to tell people who've like reached out to us like, oh, you know, what about, you know, Life on the Island or the, the Spark shows or all these different things that we know to exist? And I said, well, when you see something come out, the best way for that to be a possibility is to buy the thing, you know, support what's coming out because Sony's a business. So that's a barometer of what's going to come next.
2: I feel like that could be a double-edged sword because at this point we're, we're so used to seeing so much footage from bands that we like that there's got to be more of a demand for this stuff to come out, you know, people are more primed for it, but at the same time, we're also used to just seeing it online. Is that sort of a balance you guys have to strike versus, you know, there's audience demand for it, but you know, are are people going to purchase it versus just, you know, wait for it to hit YouTube or something like that?
1: Well, I mean, look, Yankee stadium is a great example. It's a new product that wouldn't exist if it didn't have some funding and it got some funding. And now they decided that they needed to promote it in order to get their money back. So it's all commerce. So, you know, the YouTube stuff, Billy makes money off of YouTube. Sony makes money off of YouTube. Universal makes money off of YouTube. It's a small amount of money. But the Piano Man video that John shot, which was the second Piano Man video,
0: has streamed
1: like, I don't know, some ridiculous 15 million or 18, 20 million times. And, you know, if it's, I don't know a nickel every time it's significant revenue. So all of that stuff, what John Jackson is doing now with Sony is that we're going through all the videos that are uh, on Billy's YouTube channel and, and Sony's YouTube channel. And we're replacing them with 4k versions of, or high res versions of them. You know, Mm -hmm. there, there are a couple of videos that John shot on film, Uptown girl being one of them, keeping the faith, I think tell her about it. We have the film. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to take that film, scan it, up it to 4K, and do a director's cut of those videos at some point. Um, and they're
0: shot in 35 millimeters, Steve, so they'll yeah. be amazing.
1: They'll be oh, great. Wow. The, uh, the Russell Mulcahy videos, the Pressure, Allentown, She's Right on Time videos were shot, this is amazing, were shot on film, they were shot on 35. They transferred them to videotape to edit them, and they destroyed the film. I found this out. It's like, what, you know, what were you thinking? But because through some, a couple of processes, you can take the videotape and you can up res it to 4k. It's never going to be the same as scanning an original on the film. The right. spark stuff. I shot that stuff on 16 millimeter black and white there. I found two more songs that are single camera shots of them that we didn't, that we just, that I just rolled that we didn't plan to use. So there's an, I love these days in there somewhere. There's, I think that there's a entertainer in there or something like that. So, you know, we're constantly uncovering this and discovering this stuff. And most of the stuff comes, you know, will be online, will be released online. A commercial product uh, like Yankee. I mean, look, it, you know, five years from now, do you do the Subway Series and you do Yankee Stadium and Shea Stadium, you know, as a double bill? You know, there's yeah. all kinds of things you can do that. You, you can do there. But uh the the immediate thing for me is to take a look at Live from Long Island because I like going backwards and I think yeah the Russia stuff was already retreated because it yeah. it got redone for the Bridge to Russia documentary that Shock did It's all done I don't think that there's a a, a director's cut but once again you're not going to get Billy too much behind that because you know he's not really happy with that performance so right right which I don't yeah. understand but you know, i just it. but
3: um, <laughs> I know Live from Long Island has continued to be the fan favorite that everyone has always looked to is like the gold standard of that era. Like just the look, the feel, the sound. I mean, just everything.
1: I'm hoping when we go in there that we get the one thing that wasn't in there, which is all of the raps because he used to talk a lot. He did the entertainer rap in there. I think he did the uh, stranger rap. There was a couple of, there was a couple of intros. New York state of mind. He did a a, a long intro on that. I'd like yeah. to see some of those things come to light again because I remember them live and, and yeah. fun. that's what I was looking for. That's what, I, that's what I was hoping from Yankee. And we did get, there's a few things in Yankee stadium The the intro to down Eastern Alexa was something that didn't make the original film. And, and there's a, uh, there's a long piece before matter of trust that wasn't mm-hmm. in the original film. So there's some stuff. Well, you're
0: that- right. You're right, Steve. All that stuff does exist in life from Long Island. All yeah. the banter is there because that was shot on videotape so we never had to change anything yeah. Yeah. you know okay. so it, it just lasted it was it was great and it he was funny he it was, was right. funny yeah. he had a great sense of humor up there He yeah. was funny so do you remember if the full show is recorded for that one yes it was
3: was yeah.
1: it yeah. yeah and i think I, what I, there's I, only 15 songs in the film or or, or in the tv show yeah. 18 songs or something so i'm sure there's a few things that didn't make it <laughs>
3: Steve and John, this was a lot of fun. When we found out about this project, we instantly wanted to get some folks involved in the fold on this. We reached out to Steve and he was game from the get-go. And he said, you know what? Let me ping John because he should talk about this as well. And these guys were up for it immediately. So thank you guys for doing this.
2: And this isn't even all of it. Keep an eye on our schedule because before the end of the year, we're going to actually release a whole nother episode with just all the stuff we cut out of of this conversation. That's how great it was. I mean, I don't know, man. Like I tell you, for all the great trivia, I have to say though, my, the part that resonated to me the most about this whole conversation was how these dudes were up for like three days straight to do this, you know, after the Nelson Mandela rally and not having all this time. And you know what it is? If you ever wondered what it took to be on the crew, let alone in the band, it's dealing with lunatic stuff like that and taking it all in stride. These guys, I won't even offer any conjecture about what it was like back then, but you know, there was no sense of woe is me when they told us these stories. There was no sense of oh my God and it was crazy. It was just yep, and that's what it was. And I have four hours
3: overnight and I checked all the lights and we hope to God the film came out. Billy has one of the best road crews around, and there's reason that you know Steve Cohen and Brian Ruggles have been with Billy for almost 50 years and, you know, guitar text, drum text, you know, there's a lot of people on this road crew have been with Billy for a long time. And the fact that day in and day out, you know, you know that so many shows and so many tours, there's issues and there's hiccups with production and things, but the fact that they never let it get to the musicians, meaning they make it. So all they have to do is hop on stage and they're ready to roll could not ask for anything more out of a road crew, honestly. So
2: as always, uh, let's kick it over to you guys. Who's excited for this release? Who's surprised that they're excited for this release? If you do make it to the Sag Harbor sneak preview, uh, let us know what you thought of it if you were there. Let us know what you think about the new We Didn't Start the Fire video cut. And also, you'll find uh, You May Be Right audio is also out there as well. So chime in. Uh, give those a quick look and listen. Let us know what you think. Is podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Glass Houses, a Billy Joel podcast.
3: Steve and John were so great. You know, offline, they told us they'd be happy to come in and talk with us down the road. So with the history with Billy and their respective careers, there's so much more to tap into. And I'm I'm just grateful that they're up for it. Everyone has always asked and reached out to us. How about Live from Long Island? How about Live from Long Island? And as a fan, I've always wondered about that show as well too, and it's, it's exciting to know that at the very least that that's something that they're looking at as well. So everyone who's been clamoring for that show, they're aware. Having John and Steve involved, you know, it's going to be special and it's going to be done right if it comes out.
2: Yeah. So keep clamoring, and as Michael pointed out, if we may be total shills for a minute, make sure you buy it. You know, the more people buy this stuff, the more of it they're going to release.
3: If you're looking to pre-order it. You can go to billy's website billyjoel.com and it's also up on amazon and pretty much everywhere that sells movies and music right now so um you know definitely pre-order it now you know i come from the music business i understand how album sales work now granted they're a fraction of what they were even 10 years ago but you know it's really important to show supportive projects like this steve and john were able to get budget to make this incredible production come to life and you know we want to see them being able to get the budget to keep going into the vault so the best way to do it is to buy this when it comes out.
2: And while we give away the store for free, you can help us out as well by giving us a five-star rating or positive review on Apple Podcasts. You like that transition? Huh? That was one of the smoothest ones <laughs> I've made so far for that pitch, huh? <laughs> <laughs> even, even after I edit out the five times I screwed it up and cursed about it. Anyway, every five-star rating and positive review uh, is a clear signal to Apple that they should put our podcast in front of more people. So it's a free fast and easy way to help us grow our community
3: and we're actually going to be revisiting yankee stadium again when it comes out november 5th we're looking to chat with edward o'dowd who is the art director on the project and we're going to do our own review unboxing all that fun stuff we're going to do a video as well we're so excited to see and hear this so stick around for the middle of november we're going to do another round of yankee stadium here and with that we'll see you next time we'll see you soon everyone thanks